Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to Unpacking It, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Hope you're doing well. Check out our website, unpackingit.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our weekday email devotional. We call it Unpack This. Today on the show, we will be joined by Rusty LaRue. He's an NBA champion. He's in the Wake Forest Hall of Fame. And he spent eight years in pro basketball. He spent time coaching at the college and high school level. And he's the second athlete in ACC history to play football, basketball, and baseball in the same year. So he played quarterback for the football team at Wake Forest, basketball as well, uh, for all four seasons from 92 to 96. And he's now the chief operations officer at Dairy O Restaurants in North Carolina. And so I had a just a fascinating conversation with Rusty LaRue and the timing of getting him on the show is is crucial because the documentary that's coming out on ESPN The Last Dance is all about that 97-98 Chicago Bulls team that Rusty LaRue was on. He was a rookie and I asked him what it was like and he he's got some cool insights and and just some neat uh experiences to to share with us today. And stick around at the very end. He'll he'll say what he does with his NBA championship ring. Might surprise you a little bit. Uh, and then also, uh, I'll, I'll share some final thoughts uh, at the end of the interview. Kind of my recap of the interview. And and then also, I'll ask him about some of the players that he played with. Uh, and then also, he's had a just a difficult experience in the last five years as well. Uh, his family lost their their oldest son, uh, Riley, uh, it, to a car wreck and and just devastating. Uh, he was 19 years old, and and so uh, we'll ask him about that as well. But but Rusty uh, has a, a strong faith as he uh, relies on the Lord, and so we'll hear about that as well. So let's jump right in. Here is Rusty Larue, intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And joining us right now on Unpacking It is Rusty LaRue, an NBA champion and a member of the Wake Forest Hall of Fame. Rusty, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, we're we're glad to have you. And and before we we talk about the the documentary and just kind of about your your journey and your story, uh, really, how are you doing? And how is your family doing during this time? You know, we're doing okay. We've been we've been blessed. You know, everybody is 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 uh, healthy and safe at home. Um, all my kids are 
obviously at home with us right now. And uh, my mom is uh, who is got a pulmonary uh, fibrosis is is holed up at her beach house down in Myrtle Beach. So we're we're all good, just hanging in there day by day, trying to get to it like everybody else. Wow. And so how have things affected kind of your day to day and maybe how is it impacting you the most? Yeah. So I am chief operations officer for Dario restaurants. We've got eight restaurants here around the Winston-Salem area um, and a store down in Mooresville. So luckily we had drive, we have drive throughs So we were able to keep our, our restaurants open and uh, obviously, um, you know, made a lot of have done a lot of tweaks and changes and had to cut some hours and doing a lot of different stuff from a uh, standpoint of, implementing new procedures and safety and uh, health of our staff and customers but so that's been a that's been a um process but again we've been we've been lucky and blessed that uh we've got some great customers and staff who've been really uh pulling some extra weight and uh making sure we can serve our customers oh that's awesome very very good to hear and and from a a faith perspective in, in maybe what ways has your faith driven your outlook in, in the midst of the pandemic yeah, I think uh, anybody who is uh, calls himself a believer and uh, believes in uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we we understand that this is temporary. This world we live in, and uh, it's 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 uh, you know a brief moment in our journey. Um, you know, and I've I've been through a lot in my life, and uh, so uh, it's one of those things where you just kind of take it in stride. You obviously you know pray a lot and uh, try to lean on people around you stay involved with community where you can with technology and things like that to stay involved in the church and just try to, um, you know, do the best you can in the community. And I think it's also a time for, for people who are uh, followers to, to really uh, look at their find needs in their community. Um, you know, we're, we're called to serve other people and there's a lot of people who need that right now. That's right. No, I love that. And, and yeah, people are looking for hope and, and they're looking for encouragement. And, and if, if we're clinging to the Lord during this time and we're finding our hope and encouragement from him, then we can point those people to him and, and ultimately, you know, meet them in that place, too. So uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful perspective from Rusty LaRue. Well, Rusty, I want to hear more about your, your faith journey in just a little bit, but, but I know as a basketball fan, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, the Last Dance documentary coming up uh, on Sunday uh, about the, the team that, that you were a part of. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, from, from your perspective, what are you anticipating the most from the documentary? I, I assume you'll watch it, but will you watch it? And, and is there something uh, that maybe you're specifically wondering if they'll show or, or talk about? Yeah, I mean, uh, I will watch it. Um, you know, it, it's always be fun, I'm sure, with my my, my kids. And don't know if my wife, wife will sit through it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll sit down and watch it, and I'm sure try to try to – hopefully they'll show a lot of practice footage, and I'll get on there a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll just be interesting to see the, the slant they put on the season. Um you know, everyone at the time knew it was called the last dance. We actually had shirts made up, um, and it was just an interesting dynamic, um, and, and obviously an unbelievable team and a lot of characters involved there. So, I guess I'm just kind of interested to see what what angle they take with it and kind of what they show. So that team, because I, I, during that time I was young, a huge NBA fan, and and I was one of many just fans of the Bulls. But what's so interesting, even looking back. That, that team was so likable, that there was such a following. You didn't have to just be in Chicago to be a fan. And when you compare that team even to even the Golden State Warriors and New England Patriots or teams that have had a lot of success, you don't have the same likability. So, so why do you think that Bulls team was so likable? 
Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Michael was a pretty transcendent guy, and I think uh, I think now um, in the era of the Kobe's and LeBron's, and it always seems like now there's a lot of haters too. <laughs> like you said, I mean, you got they either love or hate you, and I think Michael back in those times uh, was really kind of broadly not only respected but really loved by most fans and. Um, and on top of that, we had obviously a great group of uh, supporting cast with, you know, the Scotty Pippins and then the, the the characters like Dennis Robin who, who came along for the ride there at the end. And um, so it makes for a pretty eclectic group. And um, I think for the most part, people just uh, really resonated with, with watching that team and the kind of greatness they put out, put out there uh, night in and night out. Well, so as a rookie on that, that team, how did you fit in? And and what was the experience like being a part of it, but then also just kind of having a front row seat to to the end of the Bulls dynasty? Yeah, I mean, it was a little surreal. I, uh, I actually was in camp and got cut the last day of camp and went to uh, Idaho Stampede at the CBA for a couple of weeks before I got called back up. And uh, obviously played a little bit for a stretch while Steve Kerr was hurt and then spent a lot of the year on the injured list. But just to kind of be – you know, in the day-to-day of that and uh, get to see how those guys work and, and really learn how to be a professional basketball player uh, with that crew was, was really special. Uh, you know, I obviously didn't have a ton to do with them winning it uh, other than being a, a, a pretty steady practice body and, and competing day in and day out to try to make myself better and everybody else better. But it certainly for me was one of those things that uh, as a player – uh, invaluable to just see the work ethic and what it took uh, for those guys to do what they did on a daily basis. Because what was your perception of Michael Jordan or even the team overall uh, before becoming a, a teammate and a member of the Bulls compared to when you actually got there and, and were a part of things? Yeah, I mean, I was always a big Michael Jordan fan. I grew up in North Carolina. You kind of it's hard not to be um, when you when you when you do and. Um, I don't know that I had a whole lot of perception before I got there. Um, you know, I had been around a lot of successful players at Wake and a lot of really good players at Wake, so I think I had a pretty pretty good idea of what to expect. And you know, I guess the difference, the, the thing I didn't expect was maybe just you know how welcoming everybody was. You know, I was really oh. accepted and brought in. I think you kind of feel like, uh, you know, you hear some stories sometimes of you know Michael can be a pretty pretty tough guy, and I don't know if it's because I was a North Carolina guy or a multi-sport athlete or because he knew I was a competitor, but you know, always felt really uh, welcomed on the team when I when I was there. Oh, that's that's cool to hear, and and then also just kind of traveling with the team and being a part of which I you know imagine every city you you go into the, just yeah. the, the the fans and all that. What was that like? Just kind of seeing that front row seat as well. Yeah, it was crazy because I you know we would roll into you know NBA teams travel after games, so we would finish a game and. Get on a plane and roll into a city at twelve thirty, one o'clock at night, and uh, there'd be you know two or three hundred people lined up at the uh, hotel to just you know hope to get an autograph or a picture. And I can remember Judd Bushler and Steve Kerr would say, you know, Rusty, it's not like this anywhere else. You know, mm. don't this is this is not re- this is not reality. It's not like this everywhere. So it was amazing. I mean, we would pull into D.C. on a you know to play one Washington on a Wednesday night at one thirty in the morning, and there would be you know, hundreds of people there to try to see the team and meet the team. And um, it was just, you know, it was kind of, like I said, it was crazy just from the amount of the fan. And I think everybody kind of at the time knew it was the last year too. I can remember Jordan's last game in the, you know, in the college, in the, in the um, garden 
in the in New York, and he wore his Jordans again and all that kind of stuff. You just kind of had a sense that it was the last year, so I think that that kind of played into all the the hype and the fan support. And, and you mentioned the, uh, the the different characters and, and lots of guys on that that team that were recognizable. Uh, but but Dennis Rodman, for me, he's always been just one of the more intriguing people just in the world. And I, I watched his documentary last year that that came out, and always I don't know, just kind of had a heart for him, I guess. What what was your uh, experience like with with him, and, and and what's I don't know maybe something that we don't even realize that that maybe you learn just by being around him. Well, one is you know Dennis is an elite athlete, uh, mm. and he's a really hard worker. Uh, you know, you, you, I, he he does party quite a bit, but he he was always in the gym. He always stayed after practice, lifting weights. Um, very quiet guy, believe it or not. Kind of kept himself. I think I don't. When I first got called up, and I don't even remember if in camp he even said anything to me, but I can remember uh, the first time he kind of—I felt like he kind of acknowledged me—is when we were playing at Phoenix in my—I think it was my first game as in, as a pro—and Jason Kidd had a breakaway, and I hammered him, you know, trying to not let him get a layup, and then they caught a flagrant foul on me, and I remember Dennis saying, "Hey, that good foul," you know, hmm. and I was like, "All right." So uh, he acknowledged me. I guess I had to do something a little on the edge, you know, to to get his attention to be a part of it. But one of those guys that. I think everybody remembers him for all his time kind of at the end when it got a little crazy, but unbelievable motor, really high basketball IQ. Uh, again, quiet guy, just kind of came in, did his work, put in the extra time, always was in the weight room after practice, doing his thing. Not really a, a, a group guy, but just kind of always doing his thing. Hmm. Um, and believe it or not, you know, Bulls do Secret Santa every year, and you, you, they draw names to see who you have to get a gift for. And we, it was a $500 limit back then and believe it or not i drew dennis's name for secret santa for christmas so that's that's maybe the question for all ages what do you get dennis robin for christmas with a 500 hundred dollar gift limit but, so what'd you land on <laughs> well i ended up actually he had a daughter uh i bought him a, a, a silver money clip with his daughter's name engraved on it oh so, that's cool yeah so i uh i was really hoping michael would get my name because i'd heard the year before he <laughs> broke the limit and bought scotty a uh, ferrari for Whoa. for for christmas so i was really hoping he would get my name but it didn't work out that way so. Who, who who had you then? Uh, Scott Burrell. Oh yeah, had my name. I remember yeah. Scott Burrell. He was a Charlotte Hornet player as well. Yeah, yeah. He was actually a good, really good two sport athlete himself. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he went to UConn, I guess. Um, yep, yep. Very cool. Yeah, so many, so many great names on that team, and you, you of course, you know, a rookie, one of the the role players on that team. Was was there a player that that you found to be maybe most underrated as a contributor on that team? You know, because we always know Jordan and Pippen and Rodman kind of steal the the attention or the, the recognition, I guess. Well, obviously Kerr was a big part of that team. Mm. I, I don't know that he got there as much recognition at the time as he does now being a coach, but, uh, you know, he was such a, you know, the Bulls always kind of had a guy like a Paxson or him or, or somebody even like me who could, who could spread the court and make shots. And I think he was probably a little bit underrated uh, at the time. Um, and then I just think they had a bunch of guys to even like, um, you know, Luke Longley, Luke yeah. Longley, I think, uh, uh, Tony Kukoc, uh, I mean, you, people people forget about him. I mean, one of the best players ever to come out of Europe um, and Definitely. played on that team. So I think a lot of people think about, you know, Scotty and Michael, but, you know, you had Ron Harper, who mm-hmm. was maybe toward the tail end of his career, but also a, an unbelievable pro player. Think about all those pieces that put together. So there are a lot of guys that maybe – uh, were kind of seen as as role players, but in 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 their own right, were really good players. Yeah, Tony Kukoc. I was watching a replay of uh, some game the other day, and he's really good. Like I, I almost forgot how tough he was of of a player. So 
because uh, he kind of came off the bench. And actually, the game I was watching, he was filling in for Ron Harper, who was injured. But but yeah, so the, the team was so loaded, uh, which is which is just amazing to look back and, and think about all those those guys on the roster and, and you being one of them. And, and what a cool uh, experience to, to look back on for me as a fan. But but I'm sure for for you as a as a player being being a part of all that. My my, my final, I guess, question about the, the, the Bulls is about Phil Jackson. So, you know, he's a, an accomplished coach. What was maybe the, the one thing that, that you learned from him? You know, he had such an even keel about himself, being able to handle all the different personalities, and that's probably his biggest uh, asset as a coach was being able to, you know, the Zen thing, just to blend different personalities and bring people together. But I, I can, when I became a coach, I always wanted to be able to install confidence in my players. And I can remember, uh, I think it was like second or third game I played. We were playing in uh, at the Clippers and the game went into overtime. And I was, I had ended up playing a lot because uh, I was filling in for some injured people. And late in the game, you know, and maybe it was even an overtime, I had an open shot and I kind of passed it up because I'm thinking, you know, I'm a rookie and it's <laughs> an overtime game. And the next time out, I remember us kind of going through the whole time out, and as I'm coming out, he kind of grabbed me by the arm and said, hey, if you're open like that, you got to take that shot, shoot mm. it. You know, if I ever see you not pass it again, I'm taking you out. Wow. You know, that's one of those things where, you know, you're a rookie just instilling confidence in me to, to go out and play my best and to, you know, bring my strengths to the table um, as part of the team was, I think, what one of the things he did did really well. That uh, That's awesome. So so cool to hear, and, and, and let's transition a little bit, and and talk about your your faith journey as a, a follower of Jesus, and and so where were you at in your in your faith journey when you were in the NBA and when and when you were playing professional basketball? Yeah, I mean, I was a believer. I had, I had come to the Lord in, when I was in high school between my sophomore and junior year, and uh, uh, you know, I'd always had a strong faith and was married at the time. And and uh, when I was with the Bulls, had one child. I had a, had a, had my oldest son Riley at that at that point. So. Um, you know, I, I was uh, I was the homebody. It was, mm. it was uh, even the next the next year during the lockout, we had Brent Barry was on the team, and he did these awards at the uh, end of the year, and and me and my laptop got voted best couple. Um, that kind of tells you uh, uh, kind of what I did. I I stayed out of trouble and kept my nose clean, and you know every every team had a, had a core group of guys. We did we had a chaplain, and we did chapel before games and things like that, and. Uh, found a local church to be a part of while we, while we were up in Chicago. So so that was uh you were able to still embrace your faith during that time or or how maybe sure. challenging was it being an NBA player and 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 still desiring to follow Jesus? Yeah, I don't think uh, I wouldn't say it was hard. I mean, I, I you know, it wasn't really something that was either talked about or discouraged, you know, it was just kind of one of those things that was personal and I think everybody knew that everybody kind of had their own personal walk that they were walking and um it wasn't really something that was uh, like I said, I, I had to hide or anything at the hmm. NBA, and I think most people just knew that's who I was and and what I stood for. Oh, that's that's neat. Well, so when you do look back at at, at your journey, so it's been a, it's been a, a long time since you uh, made that decision to, to to give your life to Christ. So, what have maybe been the the key seasons of life that have really strengthened or, or even challenged your faith the most? Yeah, you know, when I was in high school, when I came to came to Christ, I think part of it was I was a, I was a, I'm always been you know driven by performance, and I think anybody who's an athlete who strives to be their best, you can get caught up in you know your worth being whether you make or miss jump shots or throw touchdowns or interceptions. Mm. And so for me, when I came to faith, it was really the grace that that Christ gives you that you know knowing that you know I am who I am in Him, no matter how I play or how many games I win or what I do. 
uh, doesn't make me any less competitive. If anything, it makes me more. Yeah. Um, gives me the freedom to go out and compete, knowing that you know if I fall short, it's just it's just the game, and it'll 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 the sun will come up tomorrow, and I'm still who I am in Christ. So when I was younger, I think a lot of it had to do with the grace, and then when I was in a pro athlete, it was really faith. You know, I, I, anybody who's a lot of people think I'm going to be a pro athlete. You know, I was one of those pro athletes who had to find a job every year. Mm, <laughs> I yeah. never had a multi-year contract and, and being able to know, you know, have the faith that, you know, God was going to work it out for me and my family to find a place to play or find the next job. Or when one season ended and go for a couple months without a, a paycheck, being able to have the faith that if something didn't pan out, that something else was going to come along that, that I had, you know, there was a plan for me uh, in, in my life that, that uh, he had a hand on. And then, you know, more recently in the last five five years ago, and I lost my son, you know, mm. in a car wreck. And I think uh, now it's just hope. You know, hope gets me up every day and keeps me going. Gosh, well, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the death of your son, Riley. And, and as you reflect on the, the, this five-year journey of, you know, being the, the father to the rest of your, your kids and your wife during uh, such a, a difficult situation, uh, what what have you learned about the Lord during this time, and, and, and how has he sustained you, and in what ways has there been some good that, that has, has come from, from such a, a tragic uh, situation? For us, I mean, I think it's, it's been, you know, obviously it's hard. I mean, anytime you lose a, lose a, lose a loved one, much less a child, is, is, is kind of hard to explain. Uh, you know, we've been, the one thing you realize when things like this happen is that you've got a, you know, a great God and a lot of really good people who come alongside you and help you through it. And we've seen that from day one, from the people who came over and prayed for us when it happened to just, you know, the people who still reach out to us and check on us and, and, you know, make sure that we're okay. And, um, but you know, we've been, we've been, again, we've been, I've been blessed that, um, we had him for 19 years and, Mm. um, uh, you know, he left a, left a lot of strong imprints on a lot of people while I was here. You know, we try to honor him every way we can with everything we do and, uh, going forward. And I think for us, it's just, uh, you know, there's good and bad times. I think the one thing I would tell people is it's not, you know, there's nothing anybody can say or do, or, mm. um, you just got to dig in and, uh, know that, uh, you know, sometimes you're, you're not going to know all the answers, and, uh, but one day you will. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of questions. I think people do, and I try not to get caught up in the questions, but just focusing on, uh, knowing that, uh, the answers will be revealed to me one day and he's in a better place. So. Uh, amen. Amen. No, I appreciate you sharing about that. And, and let's go back to your, your basketball career a little bit. Uh, you mentioned, you know, just the, the faith that you needed to uh, continue to persevere as a professional basketball player. And from my count, it was 10 different teams, multiple countries. And, and, oh, yeah. and so what was maybe, because to me, it's like, oh, man, that's really hard. And, and the, the challenges of that, what was the best part of, of having that opportunity to play for different teams, different coaches, and even different countries. Yeah, you know, it's hard because it, we got my wife and I got married after my sophomore year of college, and then uh, uh, you know she was had already graduated college, and then you know eighteen months later we had had Riley, and in our first ten years of marriage we had sixteen different addresses we lived at for more than a month. Oh. Um, so my wife is 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 a trooper and a saint because uh, some of those had to be had to do with you know dragging two to three kids. Uh, across the globe and across the country. So mm. the hard, the hardest thing was just, uh, you know, as, as a professional basketball player in particular, one of the reasons I chose basketball is just because there's a lot more places to play and make a living. Yeah. Uh, when I got, when we did it, I sort of got into it and said, Hey, if I can put food on the table and we can 
make it work. I want to play as long as I can. And she was on board with that. And, you know, blessed for me, I, I got to do it eight years. And, you know, the season ends in July, June, and then you got to make a decision in August. It's like, okay, do I take a job overseas uh, with for guaranteed money um, in a foreign country? you know, making good money, uh, or do I stay here with no guarantee uh, to try to make an NBA team in September, knowing that if I get cut from that team, I'm going to be playing in the minor leagues making, you know, 20 grand for this for the year. Mm. And so those are hard decisions to make, and uh, you just got to try to make them the best you can and um, try to do what's best for your family and your situation at the time. And I was always blessed that when I I tried to kind of do it every other year. I would I would stay in the states for a year and try to get caught up. And if I felt like my NBA opportunities weren't there, I would I would go overseas and try to try to make some money for a year. Gosh, what what was the the best spot overseas for you? Well, I I did a month in Paris, which was nice, and then cool. uh, probably Italy was the best. Hmm. Um, I did uh, I played in Italy, although I was hurt a lot of the season. Um, we lived. In Varese, just north of Milan, a uh, beautiful place. Um, the living was, was pretty good. Also, my other long stint was in Russia. I, we lived in Moscow about 15 minutes from the Kremlin um, hmm. for a year. And uh, But probably Italy was the best just from a living standpoint and, and from my family. Yeah, so so following your playing career, you, you did end up getting into coaching, and you were an assistant coach at your alma mater at, at Wake. You were a head coach at Greensboro. You're also coaching in, in high school. Uh, but then ultimately you got into the, the restaurant business. So take mm-hmm. me into kind of that, that transition of, of how you ended up getting into coaching and then ultimately how you landed in the, the restaurant business. Yeah, I'd always been told I'd be a good coach because um, I was kind of a player-coach type of deal when I was playing. And when I, I ended up getting out of playing, I had I had some job offers overseas and my, my daughter was going to be born in August would have been my was my fourth child at the time and I had been hurt the last couple of years I had played quite a bit so I got a Greensboro College kind of called me out of the blue a friend of mine who actually played there called said hey they're looking for a coach and they would like to interview you and I kind of had not wanted to get into coaching just because it was a lot like playing and you know to move up you got to kind of pick your family up and move them to the next best job right you got to you got to move up the ranks and work long hours and I just was kind of like yeah so when it came along the opportunity to try it and see if I liked it you know, in Greensboro, I kind of jumped at it and uh, did that for a year. And then I moved over to the high school for South Country Day and ran my ba- I had started the basketball academy back when I was a pro and with my brother. And we were doing camps and lessons and all that. So we kind of ran that out of the high school for a while before I got the chance to go to Wake. And, uh, you know, did that for, for five years. And, you know, that's a grind. And, you know, college coaching is is, is unforgiving. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a we lost a lot of games. And, um, that's a tough deal, especially when you're at your alma mater, um, uh, you know, when you're putting your heart and soul into it and spending hours and hours and hours. And, uh, you know, I look back now and that was really Riley's whole high school career was I was at Wake and I missed, you know, I, I missed pretty much his whole high school career um, uh-huh. coaching other kids and watching other kids play in high school instead of my own. And uh, so that was when I when all that went down and uh, I didn't get retained at Wake. I had some basketball opportunities, but I just felt like it was time to move on. Uh, mm. I didn't want to move my family. I had two kids in high school at the time and started looking at other opportunities and, you know, financial. And I was always been an entrepreneur and I met uh, the owner of Dario. We actually have a, at all of our locations on Wednesday mornings, we actually have a men's Christian group. Uh, we feed free breakfast too. Um, oh. And it's called, it's called Wednesday in the Words. Stu Epperson, who does Christian talk radio here in the Winston-Salem area. I, I know Stu. And as a basketball guy, yeah. you know, yeah. you know him, uh, you know, he invited me to it one day. I had been to it at another place, but he invited me to it. And 
the former head of heads head of school at Forsyth said, "Hey, you need to meet the owner. He's he heard you're looking for a job." And so I met Jeff Speaks as the owner, and we talked for a couple weeks. And he said, "Hey, I've got a lot in Kernersville. I want you to be my first owner operator, and would like to bring you on board. I really want to grow the business." And uh, at the time, he had three restaurants going to open four, and I said. The more I got to know and see and uh, the business, and uh, we're a Christian, you know, business that it was a great fit for me and my family. And uh, I jumped on board and I, I trained and worked for a year, and then ran the store in Kernersville as the owner operator for about two and a half years. And then when I stopped coaching my boys in high school, when they graduated, I moved up here to the corporate office, and I've been up here for the last two years as chief operations officer, helping to run, you know, now eight locations. So it's been it's been a blessing. It really has. I've got a great. Uh, it's a great company and a great group of people. Um, you know, we really do a great job uh, with our, what we do, and uh, it's it's been great for me and my family. Oh, that's awesome. Well, ne- next time I'm up there, I, I definitely have to stop by Dario. I've never been there. So what, what's kind of your go-to thing that you order? Well, we're, you know, we started, it started as a walk-up hot dog and ice cream stand back in the 50s, and Jeff bought it back in 1993. And so we're really known for our hot dogs. Okay, um, You know, nice. buttered and toasted buns, but we got a great burger. We do a little bit of everything. We got wraps, salads, veggie burger, wings. We do 32 flavors of ice cream. So Ooh. it's kind of, uh, we call it fast casual, um, but if you like like hot dogs, it's hard to beat our two hot dog special. Is is two hot dog combo is pretty good. It's uh, uh, it, it's 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 what we're kind of known for. But uh, but yeah, we, we're 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 blessed, and we we've got a uh, again we've got a really strong group of uh, staff, a great group of managers who really work hard every day to to try to take care of customers and make sure we're we're doing our best for the community. I love it. Hot dogs and ice cream. That's right up my alley. So that sounds uh, yeah. You can't get better than that. Sounds delicious. Well, Rusty, man, it's been awesome talking with you. And, and, and final thought, as I was reading, I read that you you don't necessarily wear your NBA championship ring. So is that true? And, and so where is it then? Yeah, so I keep it locked up. Um, I, I never wear it. Um, I've probably worn it once or twice in the last two or three years if I go somewhere to speak and just feel like I need to wear it. But you know, it's like I told my kids, you know, basketball is is what we do. It's not who we are. And um, the championships are great. You know, I'm blessed. I mean, there's been a lot of unbelievable players who played the game who, who didn't get a chance to win one. I don't necessarily think it makes me any better than them because I've got it. Um, <laughs> it was something that I had a great opportunity to be a part of. But, you know, it goes in the trophy case with all the other trophies, and then I get up today to try to be better today than I was yesterday. There you go. I love it. I, I've got my, my fantasy football ring somewhere, but, but I, same philosophy. <laughs> same philosophy. <laughs> no, I hear you. Well, Rusty, really, really appreciate it and, and wish you the best uh, with, your, with your business and Dario restaurants and, and with your family and uh, continue to uh, stay healthy during, the, during this tough time. And, and thank you for uh, just sharing your, your heart and faith journey uh, with us today on Unpacking It. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. There's Rusty LaRue joining us here on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. That was fun. Really appreciate Rusty LaRue coming on the show and reminiscing with us uh, just about that final season with Chicago and, and just hearing about Rusty's career is is really fascinating too and, and to think about all he accomplished on the college level and then to play professionally for eight years is very significant and and you got to think though your first year is a rookie with Chicago like your first chance in the NBA 
and you're playing on Michael Jordan's Bulls team. I mean, that's that's fascinating. So it was fun to hear some of those stories, and he he spoke you know pretty highly of Dennis Rodman, or at least focused on the positives of Rodman. And and I don't know why I'm drawn to Rodman the way that I am, but but I just always. I guess on one end had a fascination with him, but just a heart for him because I just think he's he's a sad guy. I think because even Rusty was talking about how he was uh, just kind of to himself and and quiet. Um, I think that's who he really is. And then he puts on this this show and kind of what the the public sees isn't truly who he is, and he's just acting out like he's he's a. 15 year old 20 year old kid and then you know but really he's a 35 year old NBA player or I think still you know 50 year old 60 year old he's gonna be pushing 60 now uh anyway he's one of those interesting players on that team but so many dynamics to that roster when you look back at it and and so that's what's going to be so cool about the documentary you know hearing from guys like Bill Wennington and thinking back on Luke Longley and like I said Tony Kukoc he was good. He would be even better in today's game. He really would. And just his smoothness and the way he played and like his stats, if you look back, his stats aren't like out of this world, but he was really good. And there wasn't a lot of room for him, you know, to do that much because Pippen and, and Jordan, of course, dominated the ball. And and so and, and the, the Bulls teams weren't necessarily putting up huge numbers either. Like 90s basketball wasn't you know what we see with the Houston Rockets or you know some of these these teams that are shooting a ton of threes it just wasn't like that Kerr would shoot a couple threes a game I mean Jordan would shoot a couple threes here and there but he wasn't like draining threes all day long like Steph Curry and those kind of guys so it's just a different style so a lot to take away from that conversation and and some of the fun stuff but also you know it's it's a heavy conversation to listen to a father talk about losing his son it's hard for me as an interviewer to know what to ask and and how much to you know dig in. I can't even imagine now that I'm a father, the idea of losing a child is the the worst possible thing. I would absolutely much rather lose my own life uh, than having to go through that pain. And so, um, you just you hate to even hear or know that that parents are going through that, and it's just brutal. But to know that that Rusty uh, and his family are you know clinging to their faith and, and and trusting the Lord through these last five years uh, since they, they lost their son in a car accident and, and just uh, just devastating. So uh, there, there's a lot there, uh, but but thankful to to at least hear just uh, about Rusty's journey and, and, and basketball and beyond. So thankful to him, especially the week leading up to the documentary. Yeah, everybody's trying, oh, I want to interview Jordan. I want to interview Rusty LaRue. Because there is no perspective like his when you think about a rookie on that that team. His first experience with the NBA is Michael Jordan and the Bulls. You gotta love it. It's great. So so really cool to talk to him. Thanks to you for listening. As always, I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected. And through faith, I have been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well, and I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day, and be sure to check out some of our upcoming podcasts. Scheduled guests include Jonathan Bender, former NBA player, Brett Kern, the punter for the Tennessee Titans, 
and we're working on a few others as well. So thanks for tuning in, and we appreciate you sharing this podcast. We appreciate you rating, reviewing, and and sending us emails, Bryce at unpackingit.com. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week. 